Many of you have probably seen the show The Chosen. Um, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's, uh, it's available to watch for free on YouTube, and you can download The Chosen app as well. And, and it's a, a depiction of the life of Jesus. But in the very first episode, it focuses on the life of Mary Magdalene. And it's a, just kind of a, a depiction of her life and, and introduces her. And, and it shows her as a little girl, and her father would read this verse to her. Again, this is just a, it's a depiction of, of her life. But the father would, would read this verse to her. And then it goes and shows her as she gets older and, and the, the destructive lifestyle that she enters into and alludes to the fact that she was a prostitute and she's... she's um, tormented by demons and, and just a, in a mess in life. And then there's this beautiful scene at the very end of the episode where she encounters Jesus for the first time. And if you, you know the scene, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I wanted to play a, that short clip this morning for us. And uh, you're going to have to forgive me. The video is a little bit dark, it's a little bit challenging to see, but you'll hear it and, and I hope you'll get the picture. Um, but it's just such a beautiful scene of her encountering God, encountering Jesus for the first time. We'll go ahead and roll that. I don't know what else I can do to help you. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from No more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm saying. says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
hard time getting through that scene without shedding a tear. But it makes me think about my own life and my own journey. And I've talked a little bit here at this church about my story and shared little bits and pieces in the past, but I wanted to share a little bit more this morning because it's fitting with this topic of God's redemption. I grew up in a, a family with two very loving parents. They supported me my entire life. They still are, are my biggest fans today. They provided for me and supported me. I grew up playing sports and, and excelled in sports and tried to do good at, at everything that, that I went for as a young kid. But what happened when I was younger as I began to find my identity in sports and, and striving and excelling. I began to have insecurity deep-rooted in me. And I thought that my worth actually came from how well I performed and how well I did. And now despite the fact that I had um, a loving family, there were still things in our house. Alcohol was, uh, was prevalent and there was things that I experienced as a kid um, that brought a lot of pain and a lot of hurt into my life. When I was 12 years old, uh, my parents separated, and at this point in time, at this vulnerable age, I discovered alcohol myself for the first time. And very quickly, I realized that this was my ticket for overcoming my insecurity. And now, I didn't do anything um, half effort when I was a kid, and, and so including this, as soon as I got a taste for alcohol, I realized how captivating it was, and it grabbed a hold of me right away. And my family um, has a long history of addiction, and so it was in me to begin with. And so I just went full force into that and started into smoking marijuana at the same age. And of course, we know the story. When, when we give ourselves to these things and we're trying to cover up a deep pain or an insecurity or, or fear in our lives, we'll, we'll chase that as far as we possibly can. And so as I went into high school, of course, things got worse. As I was trying to gain acceptance, as I was trying to find that security and that confidence that I had been longing for my whole life, and I had no Christian background, or at least very little, other than you know Christmas and Easter here and there, but had no knowledge of God no understanding of the gospel at all. And so as I went into high school, this just got worse and worse and worse. And, and again, I went full force into, into substances, and this led to harder drugs again very quickly. Started to get in trouble with the law and just started to do things that I never in a million years thought I would ever do. When I was younger, people looked at me and said, you know, this kid's got so much potential. He's got so much. He's going to go places. But very quickly, the reality of that, the hope of that, was completely dissolved. And as I went through high school, um, hard drugs, uh, as I said, were just um, that much more. And, and I went full force into harder drugs, and they totally took over my life. Um, suspended from school multiple times, expelled from school, and just became someone that I never thought that I would become. One time, my very first experience of, of Moncton, so I'm from St. John, my, my very first experience of Moncton was when I was 15 years old, and I broke into a garage, and I stole a vehicle, and I came to Moncton. No license, no anything at all, just a 15-year-old kid that was completely lost in the world. Came here to Moncton, was here for a few days. There was, um, you know, the police were, thought that I was a missing person and all of this, and we got arrested here in Moncton, and 
when I moved back to St. John, or sorry, when I went back to St. John after that, um, I moved in with my father. Now, I would have hoped that things would have started to get better at this point, but they started to get worse because alcohol was so prevalent in that household that I just began to, to party and do whatever I could in order to feed the addiction that I had. I spent every cent that I had, stole from my family, stole from anybody that I came across. It just didn't matter at all. That's all I cared for. Every cent that I had went towards drugs. Um, I did finally manage to, to graduate high school. Uh, it took me a little bit longer, but I did manage to graduate. And, and I was just trying to get things together in my life. And uh, I went to community college, started community college, at least for about a week or so. As soon as I got my, my student loan money, I spent the entire thing on drugs in a matter of a week. Dropped out, tried to get a job, had a job for a short period of time. We had to go get criminal record checks, and when they found out that I had a criminal record, I was fired on the spot. And this became basically the lowest point in my life. I'm only 19 at this time. But as I said, I had, right from the age of 12, gone full force into the addiction to try to cover up these things in my life. So when I hit this, this low point, and I won't get into the, the story that happened to bring me to the place where my family had come and done an intervention on me and just knew that I needed to get help. And so I was open, and I know that God had begun to do a work in me at that time. And so I started to look, my family and I started to look for a place for me to go to maybe just do a quick 28-day program, 21-day program, whatever. Everything had waiting lists, and then I stumbled upon this place called Teen Challenge. Now, I knew nothing about it at the time, and found out that they didn't have a waiting list, and really, that's the only reason why I decided to go. Come to find out that it was a Christian program. And I remember when I found that out, it really didn't, it didn't really matter to me. And I know that God had already begun to plant seeds in my heart for what was to come next. And so I made that decision and God brought me through. And I walked through the doors of Teen Challenge, totally green to Christianity, had no idea about anything, no clue about the Bible. I walked in my first day and guys were like, hey, can we pray for you? And I'm like, sure, I don't even understand it, but I'm sure it won't, it won't hurt. Ten days into the program, it was after a Sunday morning church service, we went back to the center and sat down in the, uh, the dorm room before lunch, and a guy just asked me the most important question that I've ever been asked. He said, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Like, he, wasn't, he wasn't messing around. And I was like, well, I don't know. And like, I, maybe I'm a good person. And that was my understanding. And he said, just the fact that you, you don't know tells me that you won't. And he then proceeded to explain the gospel to me and how Jesus had died on the cross to, to pay for my sin. And that if I would turn from that and turn to him, that I would receive his forgiveness. And that moment, and I did, I said, okay, I'm all in. And, and, and I was all in. And from that day, and I know everybody's story is different, but God radically transformed me on that day. And he had already been doing so. And I had never looked back from that point on. And that was like 15 years ago. I can't remember exactly how long now. But, you know, even the process at that time, I only had a small grasp of really what redemption, God's redemption was all about. I knew that he had saved me. I knew that he was transforming me. And I knew that I had this new life. 
But there was still lots to come to understand really what God's redemption is all about. And I remember we would come here back in 2008 and we would sit in the, in the seats over here. And, and you know, I'm maybe a, a year clean at this point and, and I just love this church so much. But I remember having this overwhelming feeling of unworthiness. And, you know, I was comfortable when I was at Teen Challenge because I was with guys that came of the same background from me. But when I was in church, and it wasn't anything to do with the people, it was, it was totally myself, I just felt this overwhelming sense of, I don't know if I belong here, or these people aren't like me, or I'll never be able to really do anything for the Lord. And not with the background that I have, not with the things that I've gone through, I'm, uh, there's just kind of this separation and I remember even thinking back then, sitting there and seeing this beautiful young lady up on the platform singing, and I remember thinking, there's no way I could ever get a girl like that, not with my background. I didn't clarify this in the first service, but just to clarify, that's my wife that's leading worship, <laughs> and that's the, the girl that I was talking about. And as time goes on, God just continues to reveal to me the nature of his redemption, of his redemptive love for each and every one of us. You know, we can think that our past and the things we've gone through and, and the places that we've been and, and, and the families that we come from, we can think that all of these are disqualifying us from being used by God or, or for having the blessing that God wants to pour out on our lives. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to disqualify us from God's promise. And you know, when we give in to sin in our lives, God does confront us in that, but he confronts us with our sin and the ways that we fall short in order that we might turn from it and turn to him. That's what God does. But what the enemy does is he actually tries to get us not to focus on the sin, but he tries to get us to focus on ourselves so that we'll say to ourselves, we are the ones that are the problem. We're the issue. We're the ones that's never going to change. We are the ones that are bad and, and whatever else you want to say. God tries to focus us on the sin that we may turn away from it, but the enemy tries to get us to focus on ourselves that we would actually disqualify ourselves. In the Old Testament, the very first king of Israel was a man named Saul. And now Saul gets a, a bad rap um, because in the end he does end up being disobedient to God and, and he has a fall and he falls into sin. But it doesn't discount the fact that God had actually chosen him as the first king of Israel and God had legitimately used him in that season. The Spirit of God was upon him. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 15 to 17. And so, and so in this, we see kind of the, the introduction of Saul coming into the kingship. And at the time, prior to that, Israel was kind of governed by these judges. And, and oftentimes, they were prophets of God, and they were the ones that kind of governed the nation of Israel. But, but Israel came to this place where they demanded that they would have a king, like all the other nations have, to rule over them. And so Samuel um, is one of the prophets at the time, one of the judges at the time. And this is where we, we pick up, and he's the guy that God is speaking to about the kingship and about who is to be the king. So it says in verse 17, 
Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him as ruler over my people Israel, and he will save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have considered my people because their outcry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. So Saul, this man who God fully knew how he was to fall and how he was to be, be disobedient, God still chose him in this season. Despite what was to happen, God still used him. Now, in the next couple verses from there on, which I won't read, um, Saul, Samuel speaks to Saul and um, asks him to come and eat with him and says he's going to take care of his donkeys and so on and so forth. They have this, this conversation, and this is Saul's response to the, the care that Samuel shows to him. In verse 21, it says, Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? So now, Saul could simply be saying that, that his tribe of Israel is the smallest of tribes, which, which he is saying that, and that was the case. The tribe of Benjamin was the smallest, and the, the NASB translation actually does specify that. But I think there's, there's more that, that Saul is actually hinting to. Because if you go back into the book of Judges, so... Right before the book of 1 Samuel is the book of Ruth, and it's just a short little book. It kind of interrupts the, the chronolo- chronology of, of the, the nation of Israel. Before the book of Ruth is the book of Judges. And so we have the book of Judges, um, then we have the small book, the book of Ruth, and then 1 Samuel picks up. So at the end of the book of Judges, um, which leads into 1 Samuel in the chronological sense, we have this account of how People from the tribe of Benjamin, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel, committed some absolutely atrocious things to an Israelite. And so this resulted in the other 11 tribes waging war against Benjamin. And it was like a big deal at the time. And I won't get into what it was that they actually did. You can go back and read it um, in Judges. But it was a terrible thing that, that they did. And as a result, like all 11 tribes came together. It said there was 400,000 men that rose up to come and wage war against this tribe of Benjamin. And they, they really did. They almost wiped them completely off the face of the planet. There was only 600 men that were left afterwards. So it was a big deal. And it really split the tribes of Israel. Now, as time went on, there began to be a little bit of restoration there. In Judges 21, verse 13 to 15, so this is after the war had been waged, and they're kind of like, okay, well, well, what do we do now? We almost just wiped off the face of the planet, one of our own tribes. It says this, verse 13, Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Ramon, and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time. And they gave them the women whom they had saved alive, who had saved the lives of the women of Gebesh Galid, but they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin before the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. So there's this restoration process that, that happens. Now, 
What's fascinating is that in a very, very short period of time, and it's really hard to determine exactly how much time, maybe around 50 years, maybe a little bit more than 50 years, but in between this time of the tribe of Benjamin almost completely being wiped off the face of the planet, we then have Saul being instituted as the first king of Israel who is from the tribe of Benjamin. And I'm sure Saul, when he said this, this quote to Samuel where he said, why are you speaking this way to me? He's probably thinking, do you realize who my family is? Do you realize what my heritage is? How are you a prophet of God talking to me? And then as Samuel anoints him with oil as king, he's probably thinking, why me? You don't understand who I am. You don't understand where I come from. And how many of us can say that we have disqualified ourselves from God's plan or God's will in our life because of where we come from, because of what our past looks like, because of what we've done? But here's the reality, and it's the reality for us, and it was the reality for Saul. It's not about us. It's not about us. Because it's God's will, it's God's plan, and he's the one that's going to bring it to fulfillment in the way that he desires to bring glory to his name. It's not about where we come from. It's not about our heritage. It's really about an open heart that says, God, I'm here and I'm willing. And we leave that with him to do as he pleases, and he will use us in a powerful way because it's not about us. See, through the entire Bible, this is what we see. Redemption, redemption, redemption. It's one of the main themes of the entire Bible, if not the main theme. I remember one of my favorite courses, um, Bible courses that I ever took, and I see Professor Bodner up here um, this morning, that he taught themes of the Bible, and, I, and this always stuck out to me, this theme of redemption that we see through the entire Bible. We see it at the very beginning when we look at the creation story. God created everything, and then in verse 31 of the first chapter of Genesis, it says, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So his creation was perfect, and then we know sin entered the world with Adam and Eve, and then decay and death and destruction was brought in, and this is the reality that we've been living in for many years, and will continue for who knows how long, but in the end, when we flip all the way to the back of the Bible to the end of the story into Revelation, we see that there's coming a day where that will change, where he will bring redemption to his creation. Revelation 21 4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Even in creation, we see God's heart for redemption. We see it in the nation of Israel time and time again where the people of God in the Old Testament would turn away from him and they would fall into sin and worship of idols. And then they would eventually humble themselves and God would come and redeem them over and over and over again. We would see it. We see it in the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus would go to the least of these, the worst of the worst, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, and he would bring freedom, and he would bring healing, and he would bring life to them. His whole ministry was around this idea of redemption. We see it in his teaching time and time again. Look at the, the Beatitudes that he spoke when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Over and over again, 
You cannot read the Bible without seeing the redemptive heart of God. And we need to understand God's redemptive heart. Again, so that we would fully know who he is, we would know who we are, and that we would see people in the light that God sees people. Now, all of this, all of God's redemptive plan, there comes a moment, there comes a pinnacle, there comes a climax, and that climax is the cross of Jesus Christ. His entire redemptive plan for creation, for us, for everything, for all things, all culminates at the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We need to have this front and center. We need to understand that all that God has done for us comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. The redemption that he has made available to us is through the cross. And we think about it. You know, we can hear the stories about the crucifixion. You know, we've heard the Easter story a million times. We've, we've heard about Jesus and the cross. We've heard about his bloodshed. We, we hear this language as church people. And, and even if you're not a church person, you probably have heard this language time and time again. But unless we have a full revelation of the cross of Jesus, then we can't fully understand the redemptive nature of God. And in that, we cannot have the full transformation to step into this redemption in the way that God has laid out for us. We need to understand the fullness of the work of what Jesus did. Think about it. The God of all creation sends his only son to step down into time to take on human likeness to live a perfect, sinless life than to be persecuted, to be beaten, to be murdered, so that we could be redeemed. And you think about him as as he's being beaten, as he's being whipped, as he's suffering and as he then has to pick up his cross and begin to walk up the hill of Calvary and as he's placed in the place where he would hang and he would die and he's thinking about us and he's thinking about our redemption. It's in the cross that we find our hope. Maybe you're here this morning and you've heard that story before. You've You've heard about Jesus on the cross. You've never fully understood it. And you're hearing God's heart this morning for redemption. And you're thinking, well, maybe for other people, but not me. Jesus died on the cross for you too. He can redeem your life. It might not look the way that you think it should, But when we receive new life in God, we're not promised the riches of the world. We're not promised wealth. We're not promised ease of life by any stretch of the imagination. But we're promised him. And through him, we find eternal life. We find peace. We find joy. We find hope. I'm just going to ask everyone if they would bow their heads and close their eyes. And I want to extend an invitation this morning.
first, that if you don't know Jesus and something has gripped your heart, something has just welled up inside you to say, yeah, you know what, this is real. And I tell you, it is real. It's the realest thing in this entire world. And you would say you want to make that commitment to follow him today. Let me preface it by saying it won't be easy. There's a cost to it. You will lose things in your life, but what you will gain will far exceed what you'll lose. So I want to preface with that. But if you would choose to turn from your sin and turn to him and lay your life down to him, he will redeem you. If that's you this morning, I just ask you to put your hand up for a second that I would see. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer, but you've, you've been in that same place that I was 15 years ago where you just feel like, you know what, you know, I know I'm saved, but I just don't think God could ever use me. Not with what I've done, not with my past, not with where I come from. But you would actually want to say this morning, God, I'm, I'm willing to receive your redemption from my past. Even though I know you, I'm willing to grab a hold of this truth that, that I am actually qualified because you've qualified me. If that's you this morning, I just ask you to raise your hand. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your mercy today. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for your redemption. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, for every person here. I thank you that you rose again to new life and that we can do the same. God, I thank you for your forgiveness today. And I ask that you would forgive me. And I turn from my sin and I turn to you and I receive your grace. Thank you, God, for who you are. And that's in your nature to bring redemption to us as your people and to all of creation. We long for the day that every tear will be wiped away. We long for the day that there will be no more death. We long for the day that there will be no more mourning. We long for the day that we will see you and we will spend eternity with you, the greatest gift Thank you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. For full services, head over to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's happening here at GT. God bless.